Amen. Praise the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Hallelujah. If you're here for the first time, somewhere near you, you should find a sheet. Get a hold of it, please. You're going to need it through the day. And turning your Bibles with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Excuse me. <laughs> We've been doing a series going through the Bible book by book. And it's, I guess for me anyway, it's unearthed, uncovered some things I had not thought about and maybe reminded me of things that I'd forgotten about that were important. And I thank God for that. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or if you do, you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And look at verse 7, the, the first word, then. Then the eyes of them both were opened after Adam ate. Then the eyes of them both were opened and they realized they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Adam, Adam, where are you? And last week we, we saw how we're beginning in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, by the time we've got this far, you're beginning to see some things repeat themselves. Some things are becoming a pattern, okay? And last week we saw how a transition from, from weaknesses to strengths was a pattern that, got, that you see in the great men of God, particularly in, the, in those early books. I want to draw out another pattern that repeats itself this morning. And it's very simply this, folks. Listen, God, God is always looking for men. From Adam in the book of Genesis all the way through to the end of the Scriptures, God is always looking for men, looking for men to take their place. And that seems to be, an, I mean, a, a feat that God finds difficult. So how much more would we find it difficult with our sons, with our disciples, with our members, with our friends? God is looking for a man. And he says, Adam, Adam, where are you? And you can put your name in there. And you know that story in Genesis, the, the fall of Adam and Eve and the fall of mankind. You know that story so well. Or maybe we don't. Maybe we think we do. And I just spent some time this week looking at it, going back over and again, chewing it over. And there's some quite amazing things in there. If I could have a brave volunteer. Kihizo, jump up here. Praise the Lord. Uh, just down there, you're fine. If you take that, okay? 
Eunice, Eve. <laughs> Thank you. Now, if you jump under there, Eunice, stand under that. Thank you. This is Adam and Eve. Now, look who's holding. Look who's holding the cover. Who? Absolutely Adam. Absolutely Adam. Now, I want you to notice something in what we just read. Eve took the fruit, correct? Eve took the fruit. Now, what did God say? When Eve took the fruit, what did God say? Nothing. God said absolutely nothing. He didn't intervene. He just let the woman carry on. Now, why did He do that? Because Adam, because Eve is Adam's responsibility, not God's. And when God sets up a structure and God sets up a system, He lives by the same system. So Eve has gone wrong. And Adam is standing there, nothing to do with me. And God is standing there, well, actually, it's nothing to do with me, Adam. And nothing happened because the delegated authority, the responsibility, all the responsibility at this point for Eve belongs to the husband, not God. Have you got, have you got any idea the number of marriages that go wrong and the husband will do nothing and he'll wait for the pastor to look after his wife? I even had, a, you know, I've had to deal with one of our pastors this week. Who, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, who, who, who called me and said, we have this situation in this family. I'm going to go in and sort it out. And I said, excuse me, you're not going in to that family to sort that. It's not, it's not, not your concern. He said, but, 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 but nothing. You need to know the responsibility of Adam. You need to know the responsibility of the man. And you need to know the remit and the limits of your responsibility. Now leave that husband to do his job. Or you may as well move into the house. Because if, if, you, if he doesn't start doing it, he'll be, you know, you're going to be running after that wife for the rest of your life. It's his responsibility. Do you understand? So God did not correct Eve when she sinned. And something more, the human race did not fall when Eve sinned. They didn't get the knowledge of good and evil when Eve sinned. Because Adam was Eve's covering. Adam was Eve's covering. And so he was responsible for her. Her behavior was his responsibility to correct, to admonish, to instruct, to guide. And God, as I say, God will not overturn his own system. Now, Eve persuades Adam to take the fruit, remember? Then it says, then the eyes of them both are opened. Now the sin takes place because Adam, the covering, has sinned. And you begin to see the difference between men and women. You begin to see, you know, which is in some ways an order that does not change. You see, folks, listen, please listen carefully. If Jesus Christ sinned today, we would all go to hell. Now you sin every day. Probably. Sorry. <laughs> but you probably do. And notice that you don't die. Why? Because Jesus is our covering. Jesus is our covering. But if Jesus was to sin, which he will not because he cannot, but if Jesus was to sin, we'd all be doomed. 
You understand? And so it is right here. Adam, when Adam fell, when Adam sinned, Eve went down, and folks, actually, you and I do as well. I want you to understand something about this circumstance, this criteria that we have here that we're operating on and under, and maybe little, tiny little glimpses that just slip us by. Turn to Genesis a moment again. Genesis chapter 6 this time. Take a look at this. Are you two okay down there? Okay, great. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 12. Genesis 6 verse 12. Look at this. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to a man, he said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress. Would Make yourself a covering. Noah, I'm about to destroy the world. So whatever you cover, I will protect. Mervyn, jump in here. Now, Kahiso, he's not Adam anymore, he's Noah. Okay, you follow? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Elizabeth, come in here. Praise God. This is Noah, and he's gathering his family together. Elson, come down here, join me for a minute. Just stand here quickly. So, God says, but Elson... The bad news is, you're on this side. <laughs> so, what you've got here, hallelujah, <laughs> what you've got here is you've got Noah. And Noah, God is, is, has spoken to Noah, and he's given Noah the responsibility, and he says, gather in your family. Create a covering. The ark was sealed. Create a covering around the people. And they will be protected. Now, God was furious at the earth. Remember, it's the saddest. I think it's the saddest line in Scripture. And what happened? And you get, guys, get under that umbrella. Look, what happened was... I hope nobody gets wet. They're protected. Hallelujah. Now, that's it, my friend. Let me tell you something. You know one, one thing you'll... Let me tell you something about people they do not understand examples unless they see the example you see and i can i can try and explain it but i guarantee you there will be one person here who will go um what why didn't elson get wet because i don't get it you see but what i'll do what i'll do what i'll do listen i'll be very reasonable what i'll do is i will say this i'll put i'll leave it up to the people fair enough now, you face me. Come in here. Just face me. Because I don't want you to know who your enemies are. Okay? So, if you, don't, if you don't understand the example, and you feel, you know, you need to see something, then what I want you to do... Oh, Elson! 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 These are... Sorry, friend. Sorry, Elson. Sorry. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, you understand. Elson, your reward will be in the next life. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He gets wet. But look at these guys. They are what? Covered. And I want you to get that word. They are covered. And that's what God gives. It's a fantastic, wonderful, precious thing. But I don't think men, listen to me, men, I don't think the men may be fully understand what this is, how it works. Remember Job. Now Kahiso, he's changed again. Now he's Job. 
And God, in fact, if you guys just step out a little bit from the platform, just step into the middle there. Just stand there. Now, let's say I'm the devil. Remember Job chapter 1. What's the story? Job is the patriarch. He's got the covering over his family. But what does the Bible say? It says this. Listen, it's not just God who can see you. It's the devil as well. And Job is going, or, uh, sorry, the devil is going around Job's family, round and round, looking for a way in, looking for a way in. And the, the devil makes comments to God about Job. And he says, look at him. I can't get him. I can't get him. Everything you've done for him, he's covered God. And I can't touch him. And it's a very, actually, it's unique in Scripture. Just come back before the stage again, guys. Thank you. Job is unique in the Bible. He's quite unusual because he's a one-off. There's no other person like Job. Because what did God do? That's what God did. Never happened again. There was no other example of it. What happened to him? Everybody dead. Whole family was killed. Business went to rack and ruins. And the one who was blessed looked as if God had turned his back on him. And it's a little secret story in Scripture, hidden callings and public callings. And, and, and God said, he will yet glorify my name. And that's why it happened. It's a very strange event. But you begin to see, folks, thank you guys, take your seats, thank you. And more round of applause. Praise the Lord. Let me show you an, another one in Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16 and verse 41. Look at this one. This is a great one, actually. Numbers chapter 16 and verse 41. The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You have killed the Lord's people, they said. But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned toward the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron went out to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from this assembly, so that I can put an end to them at once. And they fell face down. Then Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and, and put incense in it, along with fire from the altar, and hurry to the assembly. Make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. And Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started, though, among the people. And Aaron offered incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. Sorry, guys. Could you come back up again? Just stand in a little group there. Same people, please. Same people there. Could I have a few more here, please? A couple of guys. Just come stand here. Thank you, Kate. Could you just, just come stand here? No. Okay. You stay there. Belinda, come here. Thank you. <laughs> now, you go over by the door, okay? You're the angel of death, okay? Now, the plague has already started. The people spoke against Moses and Aaron, and God took it personally. Always takes it personally, because it was his appointed leader. The people spoke against Moses and Aaron, and God said, right, I take that personally. I am going to slaughter the whole nation. Three million people. Whoa! Don't mess with God. Three million people are going to be struck down dead. And the plague, what is more, Moses, Aaron, what is more, the plague has already started. 
So, angel of death, come. Strike them dead. Strike them dead. Mervyn, hit the floor. Hit the floor. There you go. There you go. Okay. Now, look. Come at me, but you can't pass me. Where'd you go? Oh, there they are. And they're protected. Because I'm Aaron. And God said to Aaron, to Moses, raise up your covering. Come on, man. Take your place. And see that angel? That angel's got more power than me, but it does not have more authority. Because I'm a man. And so are you, men. You have authority on the earth. And the angel knows the difference. So Moses and Aaron had to scramble. They had to get their cover up. And they had to rebuke the force. And the Bible says, instead of three million people, how many did we just read? 14,700 died. Because Aaron and Moses quickly got their act together. They protected the rest of the people. God heard them and saved the people. Thank you. Praise God. Take your seats. I just want you to see something, folks. You see, we wonder why this happens, that happens. Because men, from the beginning of Scripture right up until today, God has been looking for men to take their place in one place He calls it standing in the gap. Take a look at that. Ezekiel. Take a look at Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. Look at this. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. I looked for a woman among them who would build up the wall. Correct? <laughs> I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it, but I found not even... One. Scary stuff, folks. God looked for a man. And that, by the way, we have many, just in case you get the wrong impression, we have many female leaders in this church, and we have many female leaders. I deliberately, in fact, Jeanette and I put ourselves under a female leader who I had great respect for. Her name was Hojawa, and we worked with her for several years because I, I thought she was a fantastic leader, great apostle. Um, but typically, folks, I want you to understand that leadership, certainly in the home, is male, and the leadership of the church has always been predominantly male, and it is God's first choice, first order, for leadership to be male. Now there are female leaders, no problem, because when God can't find a man to stand in the gap, He will, from time to time, He will promote and use women, and there's no problem with that. Some people have a big problem with that, by the way. But there's no problem with that. However, I can tell you, folks, from years of working with different women who have been promoted into senior leadership, they have a hard time very often because the natural ability, the anointing, the natural unction is just not quite the same. Amen. It's not. And I've seen so many of them suffer, and I look, and it just drives you crazy because you want the men to take their place. You want the men to stand up. Now, we won't get into, I could go on about that forever because there's so much in that, folks. Women do get promoted to the point where they get often destroyed, ruined, exhausted, wrecked, and they can't cope with the pressure in a way that just simply, I guess, men are made to cope with. And I want to talk particularly today to all the men, single and married, but particularly to the married men. Look in the middle of your notes there. Remember these lists here, the natural man and the spiritual man. 
and, and turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Talks about the maturity process from boy to man. When I was a child, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, however, I put childish ways behind, behind me. Now, you see these two lists. Just look up a moment. See these two lists. The natural man and the spiritual man. You need to grow up as a natural man. Amen? <laughs> First. And then hopefully you will progress to become a spiritual man. Now, question for you. How do you know that you're not married to a boy? <laughs> How do you know that a boy has become a man? The answer is in the Scripture. How do you know? Because Paul says, but I put away the games. I put away my childish ways. But when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. Not like that anymore. I remember how I used to be. That's how you tell the difference between a boy and a man. Now, men can be very good, women as well, but men can be very good at playing games, whether they are emotional games or whatever. Okay? Psychological games, all sorts of games. Political games. Right? And that's child's play. It's childish especially as husbands. And, and, and Paul makes it very clear there. I remember my ways when I was so immature, but I put those ways behind me. And now I've grown up, I have matured. And without going into it, because we did spend many weeks on that topic, the natural man there. Remember, you're born male. If you're a man, you're born male. That doesn't mean you're a man. It doesn't mean you're a man of God. It's just gender. It means nothing. And you go on to become a boy. You, you, you'll grow and you'll become a boy. How do you know a boy? Game playing, even Game Boy, you know? Right? The usual stuff. Competitive very often. Competition. How do you know a man? By the choices that the person makes. By the decisions. And certainly by the ways of behavior. How do you know a husband? I've sat with several husbands over the last couple of years and I've had to tell many of them, you may well be a married man, <laughs> but you ain't no husband. And you don't deserve the title husband because you don't behave like a husband. You're just a married man. That's all. But as for you being a husband to that woman, no, you're not. And that's a sad thing to have to say, but it is the case with many men. Just because they're married, they think that's it. Well, that's not it. You have a lot of responsibilities. Did Adam fulfill his? No. Adam, where are you? By the way, when God said to Adam, where are you? He, it wasn't because he couldn't find him. It, I put it at the top of your notes. It wasn't a question mark. It was an exclamation mark. In other words, God was saying, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? What are you thinking? What are, you, what are you doing? You're doing nothing. You're not fulfilling your role. And not just in 1 and 2 Samuel with David, but long before that, we see this problem over and over and over that God is constantly calling men to take their place, to know who they are, 
And to make the transition from the first column there, the natural man, to make the transition to the spiritual man and all that that entails. And that's a process, no problem. That is a process, a process that can take time. Now, you could say to me, okay, fine, I get it. But what does a spiritual man look like? How would I know if that's what I'm becoming? Give me a handle on it. Give me some pointers. Well, the Bible gives you very clear pointers. Gives you three big descriptions. Prophet, priest, and king. And certainly as a husband, and if, if you're single and you intend to get married, my advice to you is start work today on becoming these three things. Become that prophet. Learn about that. Become that priest. Become that king. And even in the books we've covered so far, Adam, remember, was the king of this earth, if you like. And God is the king of kings. Adam was the king. In the priesthood, Leviticus. We looked at it. God established that intimacy with himself that he longed for. And of course, the prophets are, are cover to cover. But let's, it would be timely, and, and as we look at King David, it would be inappropriate if we moved on without just pausing for a second to look at our own lives and, and, and assess ourselves this morning particularly men, and maybe it will help some of you women to understand your men. <laughs> Amen? So what's, what's the first thing I should develop? Well, I need to be prophet, priest, and king. Now, as a husband, you could say to me, I don't get it because there's too many things there. I don't know which one I am. I don't know how to become all three. And that's okay. I understand. It could be a little confusing. Listen carefully. Listen how you can function very easily in all three ways. When I go home, we have separate prayer times. We have different types of prayer. We pray together. We pray alone. We have silence, etc. Different things. I become the priest. Listen, folks. Listen, husbands. I become the priest when I go upstairs and I get, she's downstairs and I'm on my own. And I'm listening to God and I'm praying. It's my priestly role praying for her, praying for you, praying for the pastors and the churches. And very often in that priestly moment, I will hear something. God will speak about this or speak about... And I go out, not as a priest. I go out as a prophet. And I'll go, hey, God spoke to me about you, this, that, or the other. Or I'll come here on Sunday and I'll share a word with you as a prophet, as one who would bring a word. Actually, without the priestly function, you know, none of this works. You need to know God as a prophet, as a priest, and as a king. You need to know him, like have a relationship with him in all three ways because your life will be impoverished if you don't. Remember, Joseph, wasn't it, I think, who gave us a, a list of the names of God and how we must know him in all these ways. Jehovah Jireh, he's the Lord, your provider. Amen. And you need to have a relationship with him like that. He truly is your bank manager. Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jekeni, that big word you can't pronounce. He's the Lord, your righteousness. But that's a relationship, folks. And so every man, particularly, should have a relationship with God as a prophet, as a priest. Know what it is to hear God. Now, remember, as a prophet, as a, a prophet, as a priest, I would reason with God and supplication, intercession, etc. But as a prophet, I would be declaring, decreeing the things of God. Now, if you are married, put your hand up. Men, let's see your hands. Keep them up. There's quite a few. Praise God. 
You'll be surprised, guys. Listen to me. You'll be very, very surprised how difficult men find it. Most men. We did a series, many of you wouldn't even have been here when we did it. It was called Life After Love. And we spent eight weeks looking at how men should function within the home. Listen to this. At the end of that time, one woman came to me and she said this. She said, my husband is 75% better. She was estimating. I reckon he's become 75% better since that series. I think, hallelujah. <laughs> but it does leave you to think he was only running at 25% then, was it? Is that what it was? It's true, you see. What she was actually saying was, for the last 10 years, all he's actually done is about 25% of his role. Now, tell me, folks, if that's all the man does, what's the woman going to do for the rest of that strength? Where's she going to get that from? It's going to be an unhappy marriage, right? She will probably try and make the strength up herself. She will probably try and stand in the gap herself. God's a very good husbandman. Jesus may look after her. He doesn't want to do that, Adam and Eve. He doesn't want to do that. He wants you to do that. He wants you to take your place. But it's a very sad thing, you see, because a woman, once again, she doesn't want to take up those responsibilities. She shouldn't have to. Shouldn't have to, but they do. And such a woman whose husband is functioning at 25%, what is she going to be like? Tired? Worn out? Frazzled? Carrying weights and responsibilities? that she shouldn't have. And then it leads to all sorts of problems in every area, including sexually. And the husband will come and say, oh, oh, she doesn't want to have sex anymore. Huh. You know? I say, well, she's exhausted. She's worn out. Because you put all your responsibilities on her. And when she gets to bed, she wants to go to sleep, you know? You've worn her out. Take the weight off her. Take the responsibility off her. And she'll be fine. You'll find your marriage will change. So, but, you know, folks, I love the topic of relationships. I truly do. I think it's a great, great topic, a wonderful topic. But it, it blows my mind. When we did that series last year, Life After Love, most of you did well. Most of the married men did well and, and, and changed. And I visited the homes. And I was very pleased with some of the take-up on practices such as praying together and Bible reading. But some people did absolutely nothing. <laughs> some husbands were able to sit here for six weeks. Listen to me. Look at me, please, folks. Some people were able to sit here for six weeks and listen how to be a husband. And every week, go home and do What's causing that? What do you think the number one reason that would cause a man to do that? Shout out. I want the number one reason. There's lots of reasons. Give me the number one. True. Give me another one. Absolutely. Keep going. There's one reason that is, without a shadow of a doubt, number one. Do you know what it is? It's unbelief. It's unbelief. He doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe that he's the prophet. He feels inadequate. That's not me. He doesn't believe he's the priest of his home. Doesn't believe he's the king of his family. 
doesn't believe that. You see, you will always do what you believe. Right? As a man believeth, so shall you receive. Folks, let me tell you something. See me? I completely believe that I'm the king of my home. You can believe that, right? <laughs> I believe that. I believe that I'm the prophet of my home. I believe that I'm the priest in my home. Completely. And do you know what the result is? Do you know what I do? I am the king in my home. I am the priest in my home. I am the prophet. Amen. Because it's my belief. It's my identity. And the number one reason, if someone can sit, it's because they've got, they just simply don't believe. Don't believe who they are. Can't get a grip of who they actually are in God. And so many men never come to, what shall we call it, self-actualization, never come to, 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 to become the person who God has intended them to be. So men, first and foremost, you are that prophet. And I think for me it's the most precious thing is being able to hear from God. And if you lose that, guys, do anything that you need to do. Jeanette, if you stopped talking to me today, oh, just carry on. It doesn't matter. She hasn't spoken to me for a week. Do I care? What's, what sort of relationship would that be? If you stop talking to me for one minute, I need to get, hey, come here, what's wrong? Amen. But see, with God, you can go for weeks. Well, who cares? Okay, I don't care if I'm hearing from God. And what you get then is the woman ends up doing all the praying, seeking God because she needs covering. She craves covering. And she will seek it and find it. And then, of course, you get all manner of problems within the home that are incalculable. They go on forever. And we end up having to go in, but people won't give you the time, you know, or the grace to let you put them in their place. And that you actually under, they, they understand they have a position and a role to fulfill, which involves some politically incorrect things today, like discipline, disciplining your wife, you know. That's a popular topic. Yeah, amen. Great. People really want to hear about that. It's critical, you see. Adam, what did you do? Adam, you let your wife talk to a snake, idiot. What are you doing? She should have been talking to God. And anyway, Adam, where were you? Where were you? He wasn't there. She was on her own. And of course, she's emotionally vulnerable, etc. And that's where the whole fall came from. Because one man didn't do his job. So men, single or married, you are the prophet of your home. Whether you've got that home now, that's who you are. And my advice to you, no, I'm not going to come to your house. No, I'm not going to lock you in your bedroom till you hear from God. Get on and do it yourself. Do it yourself. Stand up. Put away the childish things. Do what Paul did. When I was a child, this is what I did. But now I have become a man, I have put away those things. And I take the responsibility for my home. And seek God. And you'll find that God is incredibly keen to speak to you. Very keen. Always comes through His structure. Right? Wants to come through the, the home he's built, the church he's built, the family he's built, if you will just let him in. So as a prophet, that's what I am. And I challenge you men, 
Is that your identity? Are you the one who's hearing from God in your home? No problem. Women can hear from God all the time. No, no problem with that. But generally with direction, I mean, whew, we've had big words. They all came to me, not to you. Jeanette has brought many words, but you have never brought a word for our house of where we're going or what we're doing. I brought everyone to her. This is what we're going to do. This is what the Lord has said. Because the direction should be that man. He's the leader, right? He's the leader. And she can provide all sorts of words, but not those ones. Not those ones. Those really God wants to speak to Adam. God wants to come straight to the man. So you are the prophet. And I challenge you to accept that, to believe it, and from this moment forward, to make that your identity. Start to speak it. Start to say it. I am the prophet for my wife. I am the prophet for my home. And without that, man, you can't declare the Word of God. You can't speak in the things you need to speak in. Right? You're also the priest. And that means that you go, yes, in supplication. You go in all manner of prayer. And, you know, and once again, in, in, in our situation... You, you, you see, I, I had to teach her all of that. And people say, oh, Jeanette's a godly woman. Jeanette's a very godly woman. But in terms of warfare, she wasn't functioning. Jeanette's very close to Jesus. But the warfare element was my bit. Do you understand me? Just because she's a prayer. Listen, men, just because your wife's a godly woman, she needs your input. Amen? She needs you to go in and teach her and guide her and bring her through the different types of prayer, warfare or whatever, places that she shouldn't go alone anyway because it would be dangerous. And you develop and teach and train your wife and then you will reap the harvest of that. Hallelujah. To a happy home and a happy woman, God willing. <laughs> right? So you are the prophet, you are the priest. Now, just as a point of interest, folks, there is not one female priest in the Bible. Not one. There's two female prophets. Who are they? Miriam and Deborah. Two female prophets. But there's not one female priest in the whole of Scripture. And people have different theories as to why that is. I think the most plausible is probably this. Because God, Adam, came out of God. And Eve came out of Adam. And there still remains that element within the man. In fact, this is not confined to Old and New Testament. This seems to be forever and eternity when you get to heaven. You know, when we get to heaven, in the book of Revelation, it says this, that you can look up and there's God on His throne, Jesus Christ at His right hand. Who else is there? Twelve and twelve. Twenty-four. Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. Twenty-four women? <laughs> no. Forever and ever, there will be 24 men seated on either side of God. So this is not talking about this earth. This is eternal. And you begin to see something of the mind of God. Men do have a part. They always did. They do today. And they always will. But you need to enter into it. You need to bite the bullet. And you will only be happier for it. It's like when you've got a bad tooth, you know? You can put off going to the dentist because you don't want to go to the dentist. I hate dentists. But you'll get to the point, and it's a good day, when you'll say this. 
Oh. There's only one thing worse than going to the dentist, and that's having to put up with this. So I'm going to go. And that's a good day. And I hope your wife nags you so long, so hard, that you say, oh, you know what? I'm going to be that priest. No, I don't. Don't nag your husband. It's a bad idea. But I hope, I hope that you get it, and I hope that you make the commitment to change and to be that, and take it the easy way. Learn from other people's mistakes. So you're the prophet, you're the priest, and lastly, point three, you are the king of your home, and principally this speaks about wisdom. Folks, we, again, it's amazing. We're, we're looking at Samuel and kings where Saul and, and, and the other Solomon begin to come in, and wisdom becomes a big factor from this point of the Bible on. As a king in your house, the idea is that you gain, that you glean, that you receive godly wisdom. Godly wisdom for your financial decisions, that you're not foolish, but that God puts in you His wisdom, His sight, His vision for your finances, for your career, for your relationships. In fact, it's one of the amazing things about wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Listen to this, folks. Solomon, right? Wise. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And he wrote most of the book of Proverbs. And he's a king. And this, the wisest man who ever lived, the king of Israel, he comes to you, men, listen, because the book of Proverbs is written from a father to a son, from a man to a man. At least only three chapters written by Solomon's wife. So from man to man, Solomon speaks about how to be the king. And he says, hey son, listen to the words of your father. And number one of all the things he teaches in Proverbs in wisdom is what? Wisdom for relationships. How to get on with people. Amazing. Solomon was very successful because he was good with people. He was able to get on with people. And chapter after chapter after chapter, you're sitting listening to the wisest man who's ever lived. And he says to you, do you know what you need to do? You need to learn how to get on with people. And then he teaches him a little bit about business. Solomon was in the import-export business, by the way. He said this, cast your bread upon the waters. He was in bread as money. Cast your bread overseas, over the waters. But be aware that import-export takes a little bit of time. After many days, you'll reap a reward. And you find all bits. Of, he says in one place, he who wins souls is wise, son. Listen, man. If you win souls, you'll be wise. Nothing to do with evangelism, remember? There is no evangelism. It's the old covenant. There's no evangelism. There, if you're born a Jew, you're born a Jew. If you happen to get married in, that's just coincidence. There is no evangelism. So when he says, he who wins souls is wise, what's he talking about? <laughs> Relationships. The, actually, that chapter is about, again, it's about business. It's about a man called Hiram, who Solomon needed to win friendship with. And he won friendship with Hiram, and his business exploded. Wow. Solomon's being the king of his home. He's being a wise husband, a wise leader, and he's talking to his son. And he says, in older life, he turns to the boy and he says, do you know what, boy? After all these years, I've learned this. Get on with people. Learn how to get on with people. Because he who wins people over, 
He who wins souls. That's so wise. You don't want to make enemies of people. And you need to learn to be peaceable. These are just simple words from the wisest man who ever lived. And that will prosper you. That will prosper you. And don't look for quick, quick wealth. The Bible says that the man who wants to get rich quickly comes to nothing. Cast your bread upon the waters and be a patient businessman, son. After many days, you will see a return for what you invest. And on and on it goes. But I think you men will do very well to listen to that advice, and so will I, that relationships are maybe more important. Now remember, when you guys, when we talk about you being a wise king, we're not talking about you being smart. It's a different thing. Not talking about you being clever. Wisdom's not being clever. Wisdom's not being smart. Some of the smartest people in the world are fools. Do you agree? Some of the smartest people, the cleverest people on earth, I won't name any. <laughs> They're fools. Fools. You know Adam and Eve, they had no less intelligence than you. You know that? Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they were just as intelligent as you. They just didn't have the knowledge. They didn't have the education system. And that beauty, that simplicity was fantastic. And God was able to work with it. But being wise is not about being smart. It's a completely different thing. In fact, if you consider yourself smart, there's a warning, remember? You know what Jesus said one day? You know what it says in the Gospels? Listen carefully, folks. It says this. When Jesus walked among the people. Great line. It says, And the common people received him gladly. Uneducated. Not clever. Not smart. But very wise. The common people, without education, heard him gladly, followed him gladly. But it seemed that the intelligentsia, the intellectuals, had a few objections that kept them from following Jesus and turned them into fools. So don't be a fool. Be the king of your home. And judge it with mercy as we'll look when we get to the prophets. Judge it with mercy and grace. Let me invite the worship team to come back up here. Just stay in your seats. Stay seated a moment. I want to just pray for the men and maybe just bow your heads and focus on what we've heard this morning. I ask the women to pray for the men. Women, would you pray for the men of this church and men in all churches that they would rise up and be the prophet, the priest, and the king of their homes. Men, would you pray for yourselves? And if you see that in some way that you feel that you're not being that prophet, repent. You're not being that priest, repent. Or you're not being that king, repent. And God, I pray this morning that across this congregation, for the married men, that you will give it to them right now and put that spirit in them to be prophet, priest, and king. For those who are single, Lord, would you begin today in deep, deep ways to prepare them for marriage to be all that they can be and should be. Bless the men, Lord. Bless the men. Let them rise up. I just give you a moment to make your peace with God and to receive 
into your heart whatever changes need to happen and to make a commitment that you will leave this place and change. Step up to the plate. Rise to the charge.